Hello, I'm Kyle Corbwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, I'm joined by friends of the pod, Sam Benstead, to discuss what can be learned from how ISA millionaires made their fortunes. Becoming an ISA millionaire is an amazing achievement. We'll be later on the podcast be delving into how ISA millionaires invest, But for me, there's a couple of key ingredients that are required to try and get anywhere near to or past the £1 million mark, and they are time, patience, and the wonders of investment compounding. For me personally, compounding is so underestimated, and it should be something that is taught in schools. What it means is it's how investment returns themselves generate future gains. And essentially, the earlier you invest, the longer the time period is for compounding to do its magic. In terms of time, it depends on two factors. The first is how much is put into the ISA. You can put up to £20,000 a year this tax year and also the next tax year, which starts on the 6th of April. And it's been at that level for around five or six years now. And the second factor is what the investment return is. Sam, you've crunched some numbers in the past. Could you give a couple of different scenarios on how long it takes to become an ISA millionaire? Hi, Kyle. Yeah, great to be back on the podcast. And yeah, I've looked at the numbers, so be ready for lots of data, but this is really interesting stuff and important to get into that £1 million figure. So assuming you had a £10,000 starting pot and you put in monthly investments of £100, and you've got a 6% annual investment return, then it would take you roughly 61 years to hit that £1 million mark. But 61 years is quite a long time. So if you started early at 21, then you'll only achieve this at 82, so potentially not that useful. So doubling those monthly investments to £200 a month cuts this down to 52 years, and trebling them to £300 a month reduces it to 47 years. So adjusting monthly contributions is one way to speed up the journey, but increasing annual returns is another way. So if we assumed 8% annual returns, that £10,000 starting pot with £100 monthly contributions would mean that you'd need 48 years to reach the magic number. With the same assumptions, 10% returns would need 40 years. And if you got the 15.5% annual returns that Fundsmith Equity, the giant equity fund run by Terry Smith, has managed to deliver since launch in 2010, then you would need just 28 years to get there. Of course, a bigger starting pot would reduce the time as well. So say you had £100,000 and you left that to compound at 6% a year, then it would grow to £1 million within 40 years. If you left that with an 8% return, then you're looking at 30 years and a 10% annual return would need just 25 years to get that 100K into 1 million pounds. You've also got to think about inflation as well because 1 million pounds in today's money won't be the same as 1 million pounds in 30 years time. So assuming a 2% annual inflation rate, which is what the Bank of England target is, it's a bit higher at the moment, but generally they've managed to achieve that then you need 61 years to get to £1 million, assuming a 10k pot to start with, with 8% annual returns and £100 monthly investments. And if you start with 100k and leave that pot alone, you'd get there in inflation-adjusted terms in 40 years' time, assuming an 8% annual gain. So as Sam's just explained, the road to becoming an ISA millionaire 
can be shortened by upping contributions. But what your investments retain also has a huge influence. Now, in total, we have 1,001 ISA millionaires on the Interact Investor platform. As you may expect, the average age is higher than compared to the average age for overall ISA investors. So the average age for ISA millionaires is 74 compared to an average age of 57 for overall ISA investors. Sam had the pleasure of recently speaking to two of our ISA millionaires. So Sam, I'll pass the baton to you to explain how they both made their fortunes. I did, yeah, and it was really fascinating and, and always great just to chat with investors and understand their journeys. So one was in the mid-70s, one was nearly 60. And I think one of the things that was consistent for both of them is that they got interested in investing really early on. So one of them had a father who was really interested in horse racing, and actually he said that he was a bit of a gambler. And his father actually bought him some shares at a really young age, so that got him interested in the stock market and the power of wealth generation. And the other one actually got into it by reading the newspaper and looking at life policies and investment accounts in the newspaper advert section and got interested in it that way. And I think they both just had a really innate early understanding that compounding investment could lead to wealth generation. And you didn't have to be super smart or wealthy to begin with to actually become wealthy in the future. So that coupled with an appreciation for the tax wrappers available at the time, so the personal equity plans before the ISA came in in the late 1990s, they began to invest early and 40 years later, they managed to get to that ISA millionaire status. So what else do they have in common? I think one of the big things was that they're both big fans of investment trusts. So one holds large stakes in Alliance Trust, FNC and Scottish Mortgage and has owned those for 30 years now. So just looking at the returns over 30 years, they really are quite impressive, and you can see how they would have got to a million pounds. So FNC has returned over a 1,000%, so about 11 times your money, and Alliance Trust is at a similar return level as well. Scottish Mortgage has done even better, so 24 times your money um, if you made an initial investment 30 years ago. And that's due to, as we might know already, early bets on technology giants like Amazon and Tesla. The other investor as well was also a Scottish mortgage investor, and he did amazingly well out of it. So he put £3,000 into Scottish mortgage in 1990. And that, at its peak in 2021, was worth £100,000. Shares halved since then and then have started recovering. So he's not quite got £100,000 in Scottish mortgage at the moment, but he's held on for most of that journey and has only top sliced it occasionally. Other investment trusts loved by this ISA millionaire include JP Morgan Global Growth and Income, which is his largest position, as well as BlackRock World Mining, Fidelity European and Law Debenture. And it's not a surprise that these two investors like investment trusts. Our data shows that ISA millionaires generally favour investment trusts over funds and investment trusts have been brilliant ways of building wealth over the long term. I mean, there's some fantastic returns that you've just stated there, Sam, from those two ISA millionaires. Do they both just invest in investment trusts or do they also have some exposure to individual companies? Yeah, it's, it's a good question and it's something I ask them as well. And the answer is... These two investors own a mixture of investment trusts and also shares as well. And the, the theme seems to be that investment trusts are seen as the core of a portfolio. 
they're the safe bet to keep investing in to generate wealth. But actually, the biggest winners have generally come from outside investment trusts. And there have been some remarkable single stock gains as well to note. So one of those, and this was really exciting to hear about, was a $5,000 investment in NVIDIA shares about five years ago. That was worth about £90,000 when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, probably worth over £100,000 in today's prices, given the shares jumped about 15% after earnings in the middle of February. So a huge return as well, and that has been ridden through the ups and downs of the past five or six years. So NVIDIA is the most valuable computer chip company in the world, and it's now the third biggest stock by market capitalization. So just an amazing bet there. But it hasn't all just been tech shares. So GSK, AstraZeneca, Rio Tinto also feature in this investor's portfolio. And they, mailed, they, and they made some ill-timed bets on biotech shares as well during the COVID period. So it wasn't all winners. And actually, we were talking about lessons learned. And you know, I think there's a key separation between stocks that are a bit more speculative versus the blue chip shares versus investment trusts, which are a much more safe bet. The other investor is also really interested in buying shares. And for him, it was more of an um, inheritance tax story. So buying AIM shares which are generally not subject to inheritance tax. And they admitted, and I say admitted with, um, with intent because they want to cut down on these shares, but they own more than 100 individual companies, which they say is too many to keep track of. And those AIM shares include Pan-African Resources, Solid State and Character Group. Do you think it's fair to say then that both of these two ISA millionaires, they've both got a stomach for risk? And obviously, the investments they've chosen, including the investment trusts and some of the individual companies, they've paid off very handsomely over the years. I think that's definitely true. I think there's a mixture of respect for trusts and the kind of long-term wealth generation story, but also due to their deep interest in investing and almost treating it like a hobby, they have delved into individual shares and actually early winners are probably what got them more interested and kept them involved in this journey. And it's a self-selecting group. We're talking to the ISA millionaires. They've owned companies that have done well. Not everybody has the same success investing in shares, but for this group, definitely risk takers, definitely done very well. And a huge stomach for risk, owning Scottish mortgage for 30 years. You know, anybody who owns shares in that trust will have been on a roller coaster. It's incredibly volatile. And then, you know, even more volatile, earning, owning biotech, earning NVIDIA shares, even just single stocks in general, you see big daily swings. And when you have a, a million pound portfolio, you know, a 10% portfolio move over a, over a couple of weeks won't be that uncommon. And you're looking at a £100,000 move in the value of your assets. So you, you've got to have a strong stomach for risk to have that much money and still be invested in quite risky assets rather than just owning money market funds, which aren't going to move too much. Well, there's certainly plenty of food for fourth from the two ISA millionaires you spoke to, Sam. And as you mentioned, Sam, it is great when people come forward and share their personal investment experiences. Since last summer, we started a new series on the editorial pages of ii.co.uk called DIY Investor Diary. And each month, myself or Sam speak to a private investor and we ask them various questions to find out how they invest, how their investments have changed over the years, what their main concerns are for their portfolios at the moment. We don't require names to be published. And if you would like to be involved, we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch by emailing 
otm at ii.co.uk. And just to give a couple of examples of recent articles, um, I recently spoke to a 26-year-old investor at the start of his investment journey. He picked four funds and he explained in the article how he decided on picking those four funds out of the thousands that are available to investors. And I also recently spoke to a former financial advisor who is now retired and he explained that he seeks to take the emotion out of investing by having a strict stop-loss rule of 15%. Now let's get back on topic. So other learnings from ISA millionaires include the way in which they invest and the data for our 1001 ISA millionaires shows that investment trusts account for over 40% of the typical ISA millionaire portfolio. You touched on this earlier, Sam. What are your thoughts on why there is more of a preference for investment trusts over open-ended funds? So I think there's a couple of things to consider here. Generally, trusts have been better performers over long periods than open-ended funds. And that's because markets generally go up and investment trusts can borrow, which boosts the returns. So if you're going to be a long-term investor, then trusts have served you very well. There's also independent boards on investment trusts to keep tabs on the manager, which I think has benefited lots of them. So Alliance Trust had a bit of a shake-up a number of years ago, moved to a really successful multi-manager approach, and shareholders have been rewarded there. But I think another powerful thing is the brands that investment trusts own and how long they've been going. I think people get attached to investment trusts in a ways that they don't do with open-ended funds. And therefore, they are, you know, they're, they're happier to stick with them through thick and thin. And actually, investing is about sticking with shares through thick and thin. That's how you generate wealth over the long term. So one of the ISA millionaires I spoke to said his dad had bought him shares in Alliance Trust and he'd held it for his whole life effectively. And I think at least definitely older investors will have that same connection to trust that have served them well over long periods. The other thing I know is that, you know, trusts are actively managed. Generally, ISA millionaires have been quite active investors themselves. They're very interested in, in investing as a hobby, in a, as an intellectual activity. So I think it makes sense that they go with an active manager as well. Totally agree, Sam. Only other thing I'd add is that I do think the investment trust structure gives investment trusts the income edge over open-ended funds, given the fact that an investment trust can um, squirrel away 15% of income generated each year by the underlying holdings and what this means is that when it's a difficult period when there are dividends being cut by companies then an investment trust can dip into those reserves and either maintain or increase their dividends i think a lot of investors like the fact that there are a number of investment trusts that have really long track records of increasing their dividends year in year out i think there's nine in total that have done it for 50 years or more I think people just love the income consistency that some investment trusts provide. However, with open-ends of funds, they're required to distribute all of the income that's generated from the underlying holdings each year. So, for instance, if there are a lot of dividend cuts in a particular year and there's less dividend checks being written and there's less money coming into the fund, then the fund will pay less income. So in that scenario, if there's less income coming in compared to the previous year, then an open-ended fund has no option but to pay less and effectively cut its dividend. 
In terms of the top 10 holdings among ISA millionaires, there are two investment trusts in the top two places, and they are Alliance Trust and Scottish Mortgage. For me, it's no surprise to see these two in the top 10 holdings. They both invest globally, so they give investors global diversification, but they are both very different. So Alliance Trust, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, I think, for Alliance Trust shareholders over the very long term. There's been various different approaches, but um, for six or seven years now, it's been managed by Willis Towers Watson under a multi-manager structure. Performance has been solid, particularly over five years. And what Willis Towers Watson do is that they outsource the decision-making to external fund managers. And those external fund managers are told to go and buy their best ideas. Most of those external fund managers, there's around nine, they pick 20 of their best stocks. Scottish Mortgage, as mentioned, it also invests globally, but it's more adventurous than Alliance Trust. It has a lot of exposure to innovative companies that are benefiting from technology changes and, and disruption within various industries. It has 30% of its assets in private companies, so that's something to be aware of. But as Sam mentioned, you know, over the very long term, it's been a great trust for people that have been investing for 10 years or more. The other eight of the top 10 holdings are individual stocks for the ISA millionaires. Sam, could you run through them and offer your thoughts on them? Yeah, so we're looking at some of the the biggest, most popular stocks or UK shares on the platform. So Shell, GSK, Lloyds, National Grid, BP, Legal in General, Vodafone and Halion are the eight companies there. And for me, these make sense. I think they reflect the status of, of the ISA millionaires, given that these investors have already, have already made their money. It is logical that they're now in blue chip shares with good dividend yields and hopefully relatively stable share prices because these are quite mature businesses. So some of the yields on offer, we're looking at Lloyd's at 6%, Shell around 4%, GSK 3.5%. So stability and income seems to be the order um, for these ISA millionaires. And I think that makes a lot of sense. One that stands out is Halion. So in 2022, this spun out of GSK. There was a demerger, and um, it may look out of place because it yields less than 1%. It's quite a small company. This is the group that owns kind of consumer healthcare brands like Panadol and Advil. But actually, it makes complete sense that it's there. So in this demerger, GSK shareholders got one share of Halion for every share of GSK they own. So no surprise, it sits in fifth place just behind GSK in fourth place in the most held shares list and a final data point for me that i found interesting and hope you do as well is that among isa millionaire investors around 40 percent get their business done early by investing at the start of a new tax year as mentioned earlier under the current rules twenty thousand pounds can be invested in an isa each tax year now for those that can investing in an isa at the start of a new tax year has a number of advantages so these include that your money, it's in the stock market for longer. So that gives your investments more time to hopefully grow in a tax-free environment. And investing early, it also gives you more time to reflect upon your investment choices. And also by being an early bird, you're avoiding falling into the potential trap of leaving it until the last minute at the end of the tax year 
And in your haste, you could potentially make an investment decision that you may end up regretting. Sam, before we go, any further thoughts on ISA millionaire inspiration and lessons learned to conclude? So I think, you know, one of the key things I learned from speaking to these ISA millionaires is that when markets fall, they don't get phased. They see this as an opportunity to invest more and they've been able to do that. And, you know, that strong stomach for risk and volatility has been one of the key things to get them to that ISA millionaire status. But the other thing I'd highlight is that these two investors have been lucky enough never to have actually had to use their ISA to spend on things that have got in the way, like children or buying a house, going on holiday, those normal things that actually we put money away for, you know, end up being one of the things that actually take the money out of the ISA and spend it on. And that's normal and it's healthy and it's important to be kind to yourself and not focus too much when investing at the, at the expense of, of living. So the maths makes sense to get to an ISA millionaire status and actually it's relatively affordable, I think, for most people to, you know, keep investing monthly and, you know, starting with a smaller lump sum. But these two managed to get there, not by having spectacular returns, but by having consistent returns and not having to take out the money at any stage on that journey. My thanks to Sam, and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and do tell a friend about it. If you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation and tell us what you would like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.